This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Alan and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing design and work together to make design that is profitable. I'm Greg from Studio One Design, and here's my co-host, Alan from Pixel Partners HQ. How are you, buddy? I am great, Greg, considering today is record a podcast in your underwear day. <laughs> you're hilarious. Well, <laughs> tell, me you're not, tell me you're not doing that. No, well, no, actually, I, no, I was actually referring it. to you. What the listener doesn't know is just before we hit record, <laughs> we had this strange noise coming through your mic, and in an effort to troubleshoot it, uh, you started getting your gear off because you thought it was your hoodie that was catching on the on the mic or the cable. Did you put your clothes back on, by the way? You, you thought I went too far, yeah? I've got a T-shirt on, man, so that's good enough. And jeans, so we're all good. Oh, well, there you go. So you got your bottom halves on. <laughs> I've got to ask, what kind of shoes are you wearing? What kind of shoes do you wear every day? And I've got to say, most entrepreneurs just wear, like, something super comfy. I am a massive fan of Nike Freeze. They are the closest thing I can find to walking around bare feet without walking around bare feet. Ah, really? Okay. So, and I guess you're in Sydney, so it doesn't get as cold as it does down here in Melbourne. But uh, yeah, there you go. So. I've got to say the Nike Freeze do get a bit chilly, but I've got like 10 pairs of them. So I, I, I'm a little bit like a lot of entrepreneurs where, you know, you look at the Steve Jobs of the world and they wear the same thing. I essentially do that, except my wife gets frustrated when I actually wear the same thing. So to simplify it, I have a set of printed t-shirts and a set of jeans and a set of Nike Freeze, and I don't have to think about it. I can just pick one of each, and she doesn't get annoyed with me because I look the same every day, but I have the simplicity of just not having to think about what I'm going to wear. Yeah, I'm the same, man. I just wear a black T-shirt every single day. It is a different T-shirt, mind you, but, yeah, it's always a black T-shirt. Nice, nice. Well, <laughs> what, mate, off on this digression, what, what have you been up to this week? I've just been wearing black T-shirts, man. What about you? Nice. Well, I actually did wear a black T-shirt. I wore it to a Google Cloud launch event last week, which was very cool. I I must admit it was nice to be in the Google uh, headquarters in Sydney. Yeah, very cool. And to hear about the fact that, you know, they've they've localised a lot of their cloud computing facilities. Uh, But I have to say, Greg, I felt somewhat inadequate in that room. Why? Who was that? Well, it was well, our good friend Peter Moriarty was there, but it was like they were talking another language when the guys got up and talked about some of these cute pl- uh, cloud computing systems and machine learning and voice recognition. And, you know, some of the stuff made sense to me and some of it was very impressive, but some of it I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, it was just a bit beyond you. So, okay. Well, that's cool, man. Did you learn much? I, I Look, I did. I did. And, you know, we already use these facilities for cloud rendering, and I'm looking at how do we use them for uh, high-powered Illust- Adobe Illustrator work and high-powered Adobe Photoshop work, right? Mm-hmm. So that the guys, in essence, they have expandable systems as they require it. So if they're doing something lightweight they have a system that allows them to do lightweight but when a job comes up that maybe requires super high powered 
computer processing, they can just dial it up, which is which is the cool thing about cloud computing. Yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, and there's always new innovations, which I'm really excited about the future for uh, you know cloud computing and and just technology in general. I I just love it. it's a passion of mine to follow podcasts and things like that that talk about these things. I'll tell you what, though, from a design point of view, what's really interesting, and you and I talked about artificial intelligence recently, right? Mm. Yeah, there are systems already in place now in various cloud computing systems, including the Google one, which integrate machine learning, right? So what it actually does is, you know, it, it could make things like our our project managers and design managers that, that you and I have in our team, it could make them redundant because what they demonstrated how you could have a conversation with these computer learn these machine learning systems and it would learn what you were talking about and and was able to answer or reply to you which is very very cool i mean just look at siri look at google home you know so these are the back end systems that that apple and google are using for these actual systems and you can tap into it it's it's available there oh man there you go very cool. Yeah. So, hey, what's the topic today? Topic today is an interesting one. So, how to only take on awesome clients and how to sort of, uh, you know, leave the rest behind. How to avoid having crap clients, basically. Are you saying there are crappy clients out in the world? Not that we do work for. <laughs> we've got a good system. <laughs> no, we have. We have. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of painful clients and I would say, you know, maybe one in a hundred might be painful. Sometimes even if you have the best systems and processes in place, you can still get the occasional one that slips through the cracks. Right. But, you know, most of the time we now don't have any painful clients and most of our clients are absolutely awesome. And we've got a, a process for that. So I just thought uh, we'd sort of run over that today. Oh, that is cool. A process for awesomeness. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's really just, it's broken down into, into three things. And it's really, you know, having a, a pre-qualifying process, getting everything on your sales page right, and having killer testimonials and case studies. Look, I'm going to plant a seed here because I think the percentage of truly difficult clients or bad clients is, in reality, is extremely low. Like there are though, there are some people that are just difficult by nature, right? And it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they're not nice people. Like I actually have one of those clients. He's a lovely, lovely person. He's just difficult to deal with by nature because he's very busy, right? Yeah. So yep. he tends to understate what he requires. Now- Every problem I've ever had in business with a customer, when I've looked back and done, you know, the, the, something like the five whys, it's almost inevitably come down to a, a problem in our communication and our process. So misaligned expectations. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's one of them. Absolutely. Expectations. Yeah. You've got to set them right and set them right up front. And then also we've been lenient on our process. So somebody said, yep. oh, could you just do this a little bit differently just for me? Yeah, this is what I'm getting at as well, for sure. Yeah, and we've said yes, and then what happens? Yeah. It comes around Disaster. and it ends up being a mess. So Yeah, I've got a quick story on that, and that is 
yeah, I had a client that, um, yeah, she was quite young and she was quite attractive. So <laughs> I am a bit of a sucker for a pretty face. And because she was young, a young, young entrepreneur, I really wanted to encourage her, right? So we didn't follow her process at all. Like what she said was, you know, can we meet? I want to meet you in the city. And I want to just give you, you know, a deposit and I'll pay you in cash. And I thought, oh, look, okay, we don't normally do that. Normally, you know, pay up front and it's, you know, it's, uh, we don't normally meet in person because it can be a big waste of time if you haven't at least had a conversation prior so you can at least see if you might be a good fit or not, right? So went and met her and it just the personality just didn't quite match. You know, there was a bit of a, oh, this doesn't feel right, red flag kind of thing. And, yeah, we did the, the brown paper bag <laughs> for a cash deposit. And, yeah, so just that whole setup wasn't following our normal process and procedure and it did end up in a disaster. Ah, I'm feeling your pain, Greg. <laughs> and, look, this is not just about being the designer in this equation either, you know. I encourage clients you know you have your systems and expectations and express it well and the whole relationship works better you know we've got to we've got to stick within the confines of of the best way to work yeah yeah exactly exactly being a, a small business right you don't want to have too many of these bad clients because it can really bring down the whole morale of you and and the business, you know? So you want to do whatever you can to filter out these bad clients and only take on awesome clients. And that's what this is all about. Even if a client is awesome, they have to be a client that will work within your systems. You know, I, I can't sort of state that enough that if they're asking you to, to work outside your process, then, you know, as great as an opportunity as it might be, it's highly likely to cause you more difficulty. And that's not to say it will always cause you difficulty, but it's more likely to cause you difficulty if you if they don't want to work within your processes. 100%, man, you bet. So, all right, let's just talk about some of those processes. And so one thing is to have a pre-qualifying process. So really put some hurdles in front of the prospects. And the reason you want to do that is because... If they go through these hurdles, then a couple of things are going to happen. One is that you're going to appear as the expert because you've, you know, you've got a process around, uh, the, you know, this product or service, right? So it's like you're doing it all the time, so you know this works. And the other thing is that it is um, putting them through the hoop, so they have to put in an effort, and in doing so, they are more willing to take that next step because they've already invested the time into the process. Absolutely. So what you're saying is maybe, and I know this sounds a bit harsh, but maybe don't make it too easy in some cases for yeah. anybody to buy, only the That's people right. that are really keen to buy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. And you know, another thing I would say is put the the price up front and, uh, you know, the quote and, or display the price on a, on a sales page or whatever, and then even charge up front as well. But yeah, basically what we do, we have a, uh, you know, a questionnaire. It's probably about 30 or so questions on there. So it will take an hour at least to fill this questionnaire out. And yeah, we find that it does weed out the, the people that aren't prepared and they're not ready. If you send the quote and the questionnaire up front, we don't get any tire kickers. By the time somebody schedules a call with me, they filled out the questionnaire, they're invested, and I hardly ever have to do a sale on the call. It's just literally getting to know each other, see if we're a good fit, and 
throughout that process, they've already made up their mind if they're going to proceed. Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. I, I think about this going way, way back to my days managing in, in retail. And we had we had two types of stores, right? So we had the stores that were in the shopping centres or the malls, mm-hmm. and then we had standalone stores. And, yep. you know, some of the salespeople liked the mall stores or the strip stores because they had people walking past and they could, you know, they could entice people to come in and make a sale without any expectations. And then the other type of salesperson loved the destination stores because if somebody has got in their car, looked up the address, found where the car park is, driven to the store and come Mm. in, they're not just browsing. They've made a huge effort to get there. So the likelihood of closing a sale was far higher. And I think that's the same analogy. You know, it is having those destination stores means that somebody's got to make an effort to interact with you and you've put lots of information there before them so that they can explore before they get to you. So I really like that. That that's that's very, very cool. Yeah, exactly. What's next in your in your recommendations? Sure. Well really, I mean, you know, when you do have a call with them um, or you meet face to face, I mean, just look for warning signs in their personality. If, you know, it might not be their fault, you might just not be a good fit for whatever reason. So, but really take notice of, of, you know, if you do see some warning signs, don't ignore them. If it makes you feel not quite right in the gut, then there's a reason for that. So, you know, act on it. And yeah, I wouldn't proceed if you've got any, any sort of, you know, cautions in the way that you feel their personality might not fit yours, if you know what I mean. Do you have any particular things that you look for, like one or two that are real no-go zones? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a good listener, right? But I find if the client just keeps talking over you and doesn't want to listen to what you have to say, then that is a warning sign for me. Yeah, nice. The two things that, that flag for me is when we've scheduled a call and they don't show up for a call. Uh, reliability. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. that means, you know, to me, they're, they're not going to reply to the requests that we need. And if we have to follow them up on things like the questionnaire two or three times, yeah. then, you know, I sort of sit there and I go, well, you don't have the information on hand to supply. So the, the, the rest of the work is going to be really difficult. But I'm a little cautious with that, that one because sometimes in design, a customer needs context before they can provide feedback. So that initial brief can be a little more difficult for the average business owner than it might be for you or I, Greg. So mm-hmm. I, I'm very careful on it, on making a decision on, on that particular thing, but it is one of the things that I, I worry about. So, all right, keep going. I'm, I'm interested to hear the rest of your process. Yeah, cool. So that's just really the pre-qualifying, you know, before we get them on a call and that sort of process. However, let's say you've got a, a sales page, you know, a landing page on your website, etc. So you want to be super clear on that as well, because that can pretty much do some uh, pre-qualifying for you as well. And to give an example, I mean, what we have on ours, we used to just have a, an order button, right? But we changed that to a, an apply now button. And so that way we get a really good overview of, you know, before we send them our questionnaire and things like that, we get an overview of, of what they want just to see if we're a good fit from the very, very start of the process, right? And then we'll send them through our um, pre-qualifying process that is more detailed, like I just mentioned before, with the questionnaire and the call. But the sales page itself is a good opportunity to weed out the tire kickers as well. And just by having an apply now instead of a buy now is one way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the application process can be a two-way communication. 
Yeah. So, you know, you can ask for information and once they've completed that, you can send back to them sort of, you know, the top three or four key elements that you require. And the sales page, you know, you can have uh, frequently asked questions. You can yes. have uh, what's included, what's not included, you know. Are there any hidden costs? So one of the one of the big problems that we have is that, you know, there's a couple of common jobs that we do that require secondary and tertiary elements and the client assumes that it's included in the cost so you know we try and list them there this is not included and it will cost you this much if you don't have them because it was common it was like every week going back to a client saying do you have this oh no we don't there's an extra charge oh really and i feel terrible when i do that i like to have absolute clarity with a customer of what they can expect from us because I don't want to blindside anyone. I love the fact that, so you realise that and then you change your process to suit because ultimately the responsibility is on you to get that information. So, yeah, putting that in your process up front, did that make a difference? It has, and to be honest, we're still rolling it out because what we realised that it was quite a bit bigger the, of a problem than we realised, and it was actually right. stopping some people buying because they were unsure of what was included. So at the moment, we're in the process of slimming out our products and then going back and making sure that each and every one of those have have clarity, which is which is a big job. It's not. I mean, you've got a much narrower product line, and that's what we're trying to get to is a similar thing to that. Yeah, I might just add that for the larger ticket items we have this pre-qualifying process. For the small ticket items, we don't mind. Anybody can buy a few hundred dollar, you know, design. So I don't do it on everything, but yeah, I do it on the the high ticket items. So really, we will be investing a lot of time into if we do get that sale. So yeah, we just want to make sure that we've got an awesome client for for those bigger ticket items. Yeah, nice. All right, what else have you got? Cool. All right, so also on the on the sales page, yeah, so you mentioned, you know, what you get, what you don't get. And also say who it's for and who it's not for can really help as well. So, for instance, you know, I notice a lot of people that sell like training products, you've got to let them know that you'll only get good results if you put in an effort, for instance. It's not just a get-rich-quick scheme, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And things like, you know, we don't generally work with startups, yeah, there you go. Yeah. We might do product design, but if mm. a company comes to us and says, it's a brand new product, it's never been in the retail stores, this is the first time we're making packaging for it, we just sort of politely said, look, you know, we're probably not the right fit. So, you know, what, who we deal with is people who have existing product ranges that need to expand their range or rebrand their range. And that's a very different, very different conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess the copywriting should reflect that as well, just for them to weed out straight away by reading the copy, whether it's for them or not. Absolutely. What else? What yeah. else? I'm seeing. I can see your notes, listener. We're cheating a little bit. I'm I'm reading Greg's notes ahead of him <laughs> speaking. So I love it. I'm excited. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Cool. Just a side note on that. So uh, to attract better designers into our business, uh, you know, into our design team, what I did was I interviewed all of our designers and just asked them a few questions. What it was like working with Studio One, and so then I sort of mashed all that together into a video, and then I added a piece at the end. And so what it did 
did, I put this ad, sorry, this video into my ads when I'm advertising for new designers. And, and what it does, it shows them uh, what it's like working at Studio One, but we don't say that it's it's amazing and that's it, right? Each of the designers say what they love about it and the fact that it's, you know, they learn a lot, but it's a fast paced environment. And then I put in a piece at the end saying that it's, you know, it's for them if they want to develop their skills and grow as designer, but they need to be reliable and we will pay them, you know, reliable weekly pay, etc. but they need to show up on time and they need to be a team player and they need to be prepared to work at a fast pace. So it straight away just weeds out the, the people that aren't prepared to put in the effort. And we got a much better result of designer applicants because of that process. Yeah. Nice work. I like that. You know, it, it's, Again, it's clarity and videos are awesome. You know, if you are a service-based business, if they can put a face and a voice to the business's identity, mm -hmm. it, it does make it a lot easier for them to make it for the customer to make a decision if both of you are, are a good fit. Yep. And so, and then also you want to show examples of, of what they get, you know, obviously for a design business, it's quite easy because you'd have a, a folio section in there. But yeah, then you mentioned the FAQs before. So for that, I also like to just make sure you handle all of their objections and what it'll do, if you, if you can think of as many as you can while you're you know, creating the sales page, but it might be based on what clients have asked you previously, but you'll find it will reduce your support inquiries. And then if you do get more questions, and especially if they're recurring questions, then also add them to your FAQs. And this is really just letting people know. And I always tell people, you know, if you go to our designer on tap sales page, please read the FAQs because this will let you know whether or not it's for you and exactly what you can expect. Look, having absolute clarity is super important. I mean, I just had a, um, a situation where I had to basically put my foot down and say, no, we are a pay-on-order service. You know, mm -hmm. they said, we want to pay a 10% deposit and then the balance on completion. And, you know, that's not the way we work. So that would be a great one to have in the FAQs, which is, can I pay a deposit and balance on completion. No. No. We're a pay-on-order service, but we only, you know, if it's a big project, you only have to pay on order for the the work we're doing at that time. So you don't, don't necessarily have to pay for the whole thing, although you get a pretty good bonus if you do. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then, obviously, your uh, terms and conditions need to reflect everything that you're offering. So make sure that's super clear and, um, you know, don't put too much jargon in. Just have it professionally written by a lawyer, of course, but, yeah, try and write it in a way that is mutually beneficial. It's just a bit of clarity around, you know, what you're actually offering. Nice. Yeah, cool. And then, yeah, testimonials and case studies, et cetera, or even showing logos of clients that you work for, to me is is huge because what I've heard as a case study is that if you use testimonials of clients that you weren't happy with, it'll attract more clients that you won't be happy with, right? So, so only putting testimonials of clients that you love working with will attract other clients that will be awesome as well. And so, uh, for instance, let's say if you are putting logos of businesses that you work for on there, what you don't want to do is put on logos like, you know, that are bigger than the clients that you work for, or maybe you work for 90% small clients and 10% big clients like Google or Apple, whatever, for instance, right? Don't put those bigger clients on there from the point of view that if that's not who you're trying to attract, 
when those smaller clients go to your page, they'll go, oh, they're only for those big companies. So they'll turn away. But if you show similar logos, then they will resonate with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's an ego thing for designers here where oh, I've done work for and they want to yeah. drop the name of the brand. And that's that's okay if that makes up a good portion of your work. And to be honest, I think there are some medium-sized businesses that like to try and work with businesses that have worked with big businesses because that's the direction that they're, they're heading. But you have to find that sort of common ground that makes somebody feel like they could join part of a family. Yeah, spot on. Absolutely. And so, yeah, when you put all these things together and you do get clients, you also want to have those clients refer you to others. So, you know, a lot of them will just refer you if, you, if they've had a really good experience, but you might also want to think about having an incentive program to get them to refer you to others as well. And it might just be offering them, I don't know, another extra bonus or a I don't know a credit in your service or something like that but yeah you I just think it's good to have an automated process to try and get testimonials and try and get referrals as well absolutely and keep an eye out for online testimonials you know where people are, are providing reviews so reviews, you yep. know on Facebook on Google plus Google my business they keep changing the name of it and if somebody does post a great review make sure you reply to it and thank them for it you know it's yeah. uh it's just polite indeed yeah and so then really that's the the main the third thing that i wanted to sort of discuss on this and that is testimonies and how to get a killer testimonial and so really there is a framework that i highly recommend when asking your clients for a testimonial or case study and there's just five questions do you want me to go through them yeah yeah please do yeah, cool. So number one is what you want to ask your clients, what was your biggest pain point or frustration before you purchased from us, right? And look, you can ask this in just by sending these questions uh, in an email or you can actually call the client, like do a video call with your phone or with, uh, with Skype or whatever. And, you know, I find what I did with one of my clients was ask them all these questions. I just edited out the questions mashed together the answers and it's a great testimonial. So number two is what obstacle nearly prevented you from purchasing from us? And then number three, how was your experience dealing with us and our process? Number four, what is the best result you have achieved from working with us? And then number five, who else would you recommend us to? Yeah, that's nice. Is that your, f that looks familiar. <laughs> Oh, it is. Yeah. And it's something that, I mean, you know, we had, a, we were in a forum together where a lot of business owners were putting in their versions of this. And there was about probably six or seven different versions, but this is what works for, for my business. And you might want to tweak it slightly for your own business, but uh, yeah, it's pretty much a good framework. There's nothing worse than when I get an email saying, could you please send us a testimonial? <laughs> yeah. And you, there's no context to it. Yeah. No. And, yeah. and you just, yeah. oh, okay. Your service was great. Thanks. I appreciate your <laughs> efforts. Yeah. You know, that's okay. But if you're a, I think if you're a service business, this is probably you know, a much, much more relevant uh, framework. Yeah, absolutely. Right? A product business might, appre uh, uh, might um, modify this to be more product centric. You know, if you're an e-com store, you'd want your testimonials to say things like the product was exactly what I expected. You know, it was yeah. delivered really, really quickly. Uh, yeah, actually, a good example is have a look at the star ratings that eBay use. So when they ask feedback, I think there's four questions 
you mm. know, was the product what you expected? Was the communication with the, the seller great? Did it arrive on time? Was it packaged well? There you go. Yeah, nice. So, yeah. Look, this, is, this has been fantastic, Greg. Thank you for uh, letting us look into the way you maintain that level of, of awesome client. You know, yeah, it's a pleasure. I think it's great both for the from the custom, from the client's point of view and from a designer's point of view that that finding that right fit and having aligned expectations is is really criti- critical. And maybe some of the things that Greg mentioned, if you're a buyer of design services and you don't see this stuff up front, ask these questions. You know, mm. find out what should I expect? You know, who, who is your service for or not for? You know, do you commonly work with this kind of business? And maybe get those those answered. And if you're a designer, get this information up there. It'll, it will help. It will help a lot. It will help and it, it does help. And I find that, you know, since implementing this, uh, probably over the last year and a half, two years, you know, it's, we've been developing it and implementing. It just, uh, it's like an upward spiral of just, better and better clients and you know i think uh, you get a you deliver a better service as well when you get better clients that you love working with is that your killer tip for today well no i was gonna my killer tip is really to just you know listen to all this but just say no more often to clients that you think aren't a good fit and you'll see it's just amazing how it opens up for more yeses for clients that are a good fit it's so funny you you said that because i just had this conversation yesterday with my creative director and operations manager, Rick. And and actually, I'm not going to say conversation because it was an email that he sent me and I replied to this morning, which was exactly about this, you know, say no if it's not a good fit. And that's not just the client's put off on a tangent, the product offerings, you know. So if you can't deliver awesomeness, Mm. Is that a word? Awesomeness? (laughs) It is now. Yeah. You know, say no, right? If they don't, if they don't match your filters, if they don't, you know, go through the process that you've put up as a barrier to entry, then just say no. It it will make your life a hundred times easier. I love that, man. And also, yeah, if you do say no to, um, you know, a, a a few different products that aren't your core products, it actually positions you more as the expert delivering the core product that you deliver. Uh, There's a great book, Built to Sell. I mean, it it relates to exactly that, you know. So if you haven't read Built to Sell, go and find it. Greg, thank you so much. Listener, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or head over to our website and ask any questions below this episode. At therealmagic.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.